Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Well, thank you. It's been a long time, but uh, I hope everybody had wonderful Yom Tovim, and those who were in Israel certainly did, and those who were here, I hope, did. Um, so it's good to get back and now to face a very hectic, active, and challenging winter. Oh, that's uh, an understatement. Well, you were just in Israel. Um, I know that, you know, you you left, relatively speaking, um, you know, right after the Chag, within a day or two, so I don't know if you were able to enjoy or experience any of the any of the energy that might already exist leading up to the November 1st election uh, were you in fact uh, uh, able to feel a change in atmosphere immediately after the holiday as Israel gets into election mode well because I kept the second day I, I did uh, get to see some of the initial launches uh, uh, immediately after Yantiv. And because people were so constrained, meaning the candidates and the parties, because of Chagim, so since Rosh Hashanah through Sukkot, there was almost n- uh, no uh, public campaigning. Uh, there are signs, there are other things up, and, and of course, the slew of statements that have, that continue to flow. But the really intense period is going to be two weeks, and you're gonna, the media is being bombarded, the people are being bombarded, and the... the uh, intensity will increase, I think, up until the last minute, especially because it's so close and there's no definitive um, uh, winner right now, meaning a block of 61. And the so we'll be fighting over very small numbers and differences. And every party will say that they're the ones who will make the block of 61 on the left or, or on the right. And the the um, and the issues right now are obviously very serious as well. I did meet with a lot of the political leaders during my stay in Israel. So, But I, I have to say, honestly, they were not campaigning. They were talking seriously about the, the issues, things I'm involved with, and that uh, the issues that, uh, as they see it, certainly Iran remains a primary issue. And, of course, the Lebanese oil deal was uh, – the Lebanese deal was um, – uh, a primary issue uh, of concern, but ranging from everything from Chinese involvement to uh, the economic uh, crisis that Israel, as well as every other country, faces. Although Israel has it under better control, even than here, it's a um, it, it's to the detriment, wouldn't you say, of Israel and especially the Israelis that don't enjoy all these uh, repeat elections. Um, that there is no, uh, at least, uh, a path to a coalition at the moment. And I say it like that because e- even during the elections, when it, there ended up being no coalition where the numbers didn't exist, the polls beforehand sort of suggested there was a path to form some type of government, some type of majority. Now, even the polls, you know, a couple of weeks in advance of the election, not even a couple of weeks, it's 10 days, but in advance of the election, c- can't find a way for anybody to form a coalition. That's got to be depressing for some people. Yeah, but people, I think, are very skeptical about the polling, about the uh, trends. There is concern, like here, like, for instance, about security issues and economic issues, and nobody has simple answers for, for those things. There were uh, the, the, the very heated debate about the Lebanese deal, but most people don't know the details and don't, you know, listen to the headlines that say it's a bad deal or selling it as a good deal. The uh, I think that it's really the day-to-day bread and butter issues, like I think will will impact how people vote here, uh, and the 
I think that the turnout may be higher than people, than the skeptics thought, because people are just tired of the elections. And that is true. And they, they tie to the system that produces an election after a year and after, uh, on average, every two plus years, the, the average is going down, not up. And the, um, the, I, I think also that the, the people are looking at it in a long-term way. Life in Israel is good, but inflation is taking a heavy price. Real estate, other things going up. The food certainly going up sharply. Uh, the government taking measures, but doesn't really uh, impact directly at people. So the the the. Um, the number of families that are economically, that are financially strapped in Israel must be going up like crazy. It has gone up very significantly, and uh, the numbers are always very uh, depressing because it, it shouldn't be, um, and especially the number of children who are living under the poverty level. But the, the government, there are, and there are a lot of organizations that try to address it and to, to improve the situation. But again, you know, people will vote. There are very strong ideological uh, tendencies. I think it's less the case this time. Uh, people are looking at how will they achieve stability, and who will be able really to make a dent in the right. in the concerns about you know you had 34 incidents. I think in September alone, shooting incidents, and we've seen the activation of the lines. Then uh, militia and the army has done a great job in trying to counter it. But the, um, uh, you know, Palestinian security forces are not helping to prevent. They, they have no um, real motivation. And I think that they're not being paid and they are being paid uh, only half of their salary. And the the um, militia, which is made up of Tanzin and Hamas and former Islamic Jihad and, and Fatah people, and the and the, the fathers are in the PA as security services and their kids are in the lion's den and clearly are getting money from Hamas, Islamic Jihad, maybe Iran and others directly or indirectly. Uh, so the security situation is uh, always as uh, right. uh, and, and, our primary concern. And if security is going to be the number one or close to the number one issue in this upcoming election, so let's go a couple through a couple of these things that you just mentioned and alluded to. The, the first thing was the, uh, in terms of the agreement with Lebanon, I mean, if it is going to, in fact, cool things between Hezbollah and Israel, there's less of a chance of an engagement of, of you know, of, of Hezbollah attacking Israel, ensuing uh, 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 with some rocket fire on Israel, etc., that I would have to assume that most people, if not all, are happy with the agreement. Would that be the case? I think most people don't really understand the agreement. It's, it is complicated when you look at the maritime uh, borders that are being established. There are those who will argue that this was a capitulation to Hezbollah and to under Hezbollah pressure, and Hezbollah will take credit for it. Um, the other side argues that that is, is not the case, that Israel didn't yield territory, uh, as the others claim. They yielded uh, water territory. Uh, which has implications, but it, it, they say it doesn't impact their security operations. It's an economic uh, boundary. But in fact, the line that's being drawn is closer to the, what the Lebanese demanded than to what Israel had initially uh, requested. Um, the United States obviously was very involved and, and pushed this very hard. 
it does avoid a confrontation with uh, Hezbollah for now. As you know, that is not a guarantee for the future. Right, which the media, and, by the way, on this side of the world, promoted, I'm sure, more than the media in Israel. It has to be. Exactly. Because and, because here, you'd think that this was so to Israel's benefit, and, and 100% of the Israeli population is behind it because it's going to prevent an engagement between Israel and Hezbollah. I didn't even realize until what you said this morning about how Israel's reacting to it, or the you know the split uh, a view of it, um, or the confusion about it that there that it's not you know totally clear that this is a great security move for Israel. So I, I would defy to find people here or there who are not directly involved who know the details because many of the details were not revealed and they're selling it in on the principles. Uh, which enables Israel to start producing at Karish, but Israel could do that anyway. That is clearly completely within Israeli territory, and the um, uh, it'll be a long time till Lebanon really benefits from this. Uh, it's it's obviously they gave it to Total and Total, uh, the French energy company, and it's Energy and who is developing the Israeli site. Um, and the the gas flow from Israel will be pretty soon because the facility is ready. The Lebanese side is way behind. As you know, the government is is in collapse, and so it could be a long while before they actually see uh, results. And the there are assurances that money will not go to to the Hezbollah, although we know that the money there is fungible and Hezbollah is is in a controlling force. So it's hard to see how they can uh, uphold those assurances. And the second but, piece, I'm sorry. Yeah, but I just wanted to say, I mean, the arguments that are being made when the chief of staff, the military, the Shin Bet, the Mossad, all of them endorsed this uh, this deal. Uh, and I'm sure that they, you know, reviewed all the details and concerns. Yeah, I get that. The second piece to the security issues is what you said regarding Yudan Shomron and other areas, not just Yudan Shomron. We see attacks and uh, and violence in other areas. But in, in fact, in Judea and Samaria, uh, it's being uh, painted as the worst violence since 2015. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's just a different atmosphere now because usually uh, the world would react, and I'm talking about the Jewish community around the world, uh, would react with uh, with greater concern and sympathy. I don't think it is uh, at the level of what we saw during the Intifada, etc. Maybe you would argue that it's, you know the violence is not nearly as bad as during the Intifadas. But can this worst violence of you know since seven years ago play a major role in the upcoming election? Absolutely. It's going to be uh, a concern. It is a concern today uh, because you have had the violence in various parts. It's not an intifada. Uh, it's not, uh, hasn't gotten the popular uh, support, but it's much more widespread. You see a lot of knife attacks. It's not only guns. Some, people, some people have written that this is how the intifadas began. Well, that, that it's true there, but violence uh, uh, is always the beginning of Intifada or any other action. So the question is, this popular uprising of people committed to this, or are they, and the polls show generally that there is support for violence against Israel. And it's because the frustrations they have with their own government, with their own conditions, which are not the making of Israel, but of their, of their own leadership and their failures. And they, of course, shift the onus then to, to Israel. And you see Abbas and others uh, joining in that chorus. Uh, But the fact is that Israel takes these preventative measures because these, they're they're killing people. And and my point was that it's not, it's guns, it's knives, it's distant. It's, uh, you know, where they shoot from, from hidden places where they attack from outside a settlement or outside a a police uh, facility. 
uh, and not direct confrontation. And then there are the incidents of direct confrontation. So you have to differentiate between the different uh, right. uh, kinds of, of attacks that, that have been taking place. But the, but the impact in terms of the Israelis and the voters and, the, and who will go to vote uh, is can be very serious. And now they say, well, who can give the, the answers? Will Gantz benefit from it because he's Minister of Defense? Will uh, Lapid benefit from it, or will um, or, or Netanyahu or Ben Gavir benefit because people want a tougher approach to um, uh, to, to the to the violence and and seeing the the um, new developments in terms of of the attacks? Uh, you know, at least twenty members uh, are being held of the lines then by the PA, which wants them to accept jobs with BA security forces and, and to get out of the lines then because it's a threat to them as well. And this is, uh, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's destabilizing on both sides and, and creates a circumstance. Also the economic conditions where, where people, the price of, of staples goes up. Uh, Israel has made remarkable efforts to contain inflation. It's running about half of, I think in the United States, and the projection for next year is uh, back to six percent, or this year six percent growth, and then stabilizing at the normal range of three point five to four point five, I think. The um, uh, so the the economy, we still see the investment in the high tech sector. We see the people coming to Israel to invest and to to try to buy companies. We see more from the Abraham Accord countries coming, the expansion of trade, particularly with UAE, but also delegations from you know, Pakistan and Indonesia and others coming uh, to Israel. So there are positive signs and the boom, the, the, um, the most amazing thing is to see the boom in construction everywhere. I stood on an apartment in Ramuk Bechemesh Dalid and which is the fourth sector outside the city that was built. And just from the balcony we were standing on, I could see seven cranes <laughs> working on buildings and they're already up to Vav. So that's already the sixth uh, suburb development of, of, uh, of Ramot Bechemesh. And they're talking about much more expansion from that. The prices double every year or every two years. It's, it's, it's a remarkable development, and yet, and you see it everywhere in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem. There isn't a spot that's available that doesn't get built on, and foreigners buy, but also Israelis. And the the um, uh, need for rental housing is just is, is astounding. And I hope that the government will take steps to, to, especially for young people who can't afford to buy, to be able to get residences, or else they they can look abroad. They can. Or go say they'll go abroad for a year or two, and then ends up being much more. Is there any affordable area of Israel? Them. Yeah, as you get further away from the major cities, certainly there are affordable areas in, in beautiful areas in the Galil. Uh, Beersheba is growing immensely, and and it's not cheap. But the the, the suburbs there, the uh, more rural places, are affordable. You have Shavim, you have other places where. Uh, people can get it, but they want to be able to be within close proximity to jobs, 
which is mostly in the center. So, uh, Malcolm Holmline with us, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSegal.com, on the NahumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. A very astute listener realized that I'm going to be out of town for my uh, future son-in-law's Ufruf the Friday after the election, so I will. Don't worry, folks. I'm going to speak to Malcolm. We might do something maybe earlier in the week and air it Friday because we can't uh, not have a post-election a conversation, especially with the uh, with the confusion that's expected with this election. All right, let's go to Iran for a second. I mean, I it, it's good to see that at least here in the United States, we're reading articles and seeing uh, um, uh, uh, different uh, reports online, and that people seem to finally be concerned about the situation in Iran. Are the protests growing? Uh, are are there more crackdowns coming from security forces, which are leading, by the way, to murder in some cases uh, of people who are protesting in Iran? What's the uh, what's the situation there right now? Well, I can give you certainly the, the breaking news on this. I've talked to the people in Iran yesterday or late, late last night, and uh, we keep in touch with them on a regular basis to, to understand what's happening. And believe me, what you're reading in the reports and the hearing in, in the reports, it doesn't even scratch the surface of the reality on the ground. Uh, demonstrations, about 9 million people have already participated in the demonstrations. Tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow, look for massive events, a, a good bellwether of what is about to happen. I think the truck drivers will finally be going on strike after, uh, and that, that is very critical because the uh, it includes some of the tanker drivers, which means that the refineries will not be able to send out oil. Some of the refineries are already shut by uh, other strikes. Uh, the security forces many of them are refusing to shoot, and therefore the death toll has not been as high as one would have expected, and they've done brilliant things. You know, they, they, they take the pictures of the Basiji, who are very vicious, and they trace them on the Internet and get their families' addresses, and they go and they hold the demonstrations outside the home of their parents and say, we will hold you to account for whatever happens uh, by your children's um, actions and participation in the uh, violence. The... Um, uh, the, the, so it, it is spreading in terms of cities. It's spreading in terms of the number of places. They break the CCTV cameras. So the, they don't know where to anticipate the next demonstration. They can't see where it's organizing. In Tehran alone, there are 250 places where demonstrations are taking place. When you only have 50,000 troops available for it, because many refuse uh, of those even to refuse to shoot, they go in, in security operations. They have brought on some Hezbollah. They have brought in some Hamas. They try to get Afghanis to come and fight I, from Syria. I think that did not succeed. Uh, they are uh, increasingly giving orders to, to take more violent responses because they see that they're losing control. And especially as it spreads now to Kurdistan, where you have live fire exchanges, uh, and uh, the Azeri, uh, the Azerbaijan, Western, Eastern provinces, which represent, uh, they call themselves, I think, Turkic, uh, because the language, about um, 30 million people, and the Baluchis, the others, that is really a threat. So they are cracking down in Kurdistan and in other places, but they can't, they're limited because if they really evoke a true violent response from from these from the ethnic groups, it, it will spell the end. I do believe this is a true revolution. 
I do believe that ultimately it could topple the government. And a lot depends on what the West does. The United States has come out with some statements this time at least, which we have, we didn't do in the last time in 2019 and before. Uh, but it's not enough. We have to see to it that they get funds. The level of dissidence is rising all the time in, amongst uh, groups, and people are willing to sell information. They're willing to uh, turn in uh, other leaders. The uh, high school students have been demonstrating, certainly college students, and this has been led by women. They just arrested 40 women yesterday uh, who, who they claim are leaders. We'll have to see if they put them on trial or what they're going to do to it. But I think each of those actions is very short-sighted because it, it's evoking greater responses by uh, the people and the, uh, uh, the courage of the people knowing that they're being filmed to demonstrate and to the yelling death to the dictator uh, is, is remarkable. So whether Iran is really in a position and given their economic conditions, they're not in a great position uh, and they have a lot of diversions. Uh, we could see uh, the erosion of the of the position of the, of the supreme leader. He will make the he still makes the ultimate decisions, and his son, who was in line, seems to be in hiding. Uh, but the the people's frustration is is truly remarkable, and it's it's a real demonstration of courage. We see that they keep shifting their tactics and trying to to quell it, but they're not. They're using digital surveillance and drones to target demonstrations. They've used live ammunition. They, they use crowd dispersal. But when they break up one uh, demonstration, then three more take place. So they divide up into different areas and have, uh, have been very clever and, and uh, much more than any of the media here is reporting. The, the fact that the oil income will be reduced sharply as demonstrations by the truck drivers, uh, that was really the last big sector and the oil refineries, which even where a third of the people are on strike. But if they can't take it out of the places, then the oil is not is not for sale, is not going to be brought to the market. Our so it's a very complex issue and, and a really remarkable dynamic. I could talk to you for 40 minutes about it because it's, it's so much happening there. Are Jews in Iran involved in the protests? No, not that we know of so far. They uh, and they, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're very concerned about it because it's a very, very small minority. Uh, they, they're an easy target. And so I think um, the wisdom on their part is to stay out and to... Um, I guess to protect their their institutions. I know that they did have very quiet. Uh, they had some Khastara celebrations, but I think they were not held in, in the traditional uh, uh, places uh, or, or outside. And uh, I'm sure they were uh, subdued. So in the 750 Hezbollah that supposedly uh, are coming in. Um, and the others are are very vicious. They they you know they have no restrictions on what they do because they're not worried about the consequences until their pictures start getting posted and all of a sudden they they see that they could be held to account uh, later on. Uh, so everybody every part of this uh, has broad implications I'm for the to, region. 
I'm trying to get a perspective. Though. I mean, the revolution was 42, 43 years ago. I'm trying to get a perspective if this is the, the, the most progress, a democratic, I don't even know if you want to call it a democratic revolution. I'm not quite sure you know, how to classify it. But is this the most attention uh, and the most success so far in all these decades um, uh, that the, uh, you know, that the let, let's call them pro-democracy for a moment or anti-government forces have had? Has there been any period of time that's been close to this? Um, has there been a period of time, frankly, where there's been more American support uh, and more support from Washington than today? Well, we don't have enough support from the West, especially Europeans and others. If they would reimpose sanctions, they which they can even under the JCPOA. Um, I mean, they're, they're threatening attacks against Saudi Arabia because there's a Saudi-sponsored TV station that continues to broadcast from London and Washington, and uh, they, you know, they've shut off the internet in a lot of the places. And these are things that we can help bypass by making sure that there are uh, means to convey messages um, to the people and the people to be able to convey messages out. There are still people who use the phone to do it, which is obviously very, um, very risky. They're threatening Saudi Arabia maybe by a Houthi attack or another attack on Aramco or something else. And that's one of the ways to try to divert attention to say where it's a foreign war and you know that they engage and escalate the, the situation with uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, but the um, this is unprecedented. This is different. It's broader. The fact that it's led by women and that women have taken the lead across the country in it that it is spreading and that people uh, are willing to go out and say death to the dictator, which they did the last time, but this is much more widespread. And um, I think that the, the, um, the whole dynamic of this is different. I, I, I spoke to the people at that time in America said, we don't get involved in family disputes, both Hillary Clinton as secretary of state and Colin Powell both did it. And uh, it, that, you know, took away the spirit from this. This time, it's pure. It's domestic driven. It's um, it's very it's very serious. And the diversity of the attacks, the sophistication with which some of these demonstrations, how they move them around, and how they um, uh, are able to bypass the security forces, is very impressive. I would think that I would think that Syria is paying careful attention to the West's reaction to all this. Right, because they, you're absolutely right. Uh, Syria pays close attention to it um, because their crackdowns are very similar to this. <laughs> frankly, they they are similar because the tactics are are, are similar. But the uh, right now Syria is has been more pacified. I think uh, the control of the Syrian government has expanded a lot. By the way, he met with Hamas leadership uh, leaders uh, this week, and they talked about a very warm exchange. Uh, I think the, uh, you know, the Russians are reducing their footprint there. Iran may do the same to withdraw troops to, to come to back to Tehran. Good for, good for Israel or not, especially on the Russian side as they withdraw their key defense system. Well, it depends who fills the void. And if the, the Syrians take over the use of the systems, the air defense systems with Russia till now controls, I don't believe Russia will do that. I, I know that they removed some of the air defense systems back to Ukraine, uh, at least two that were near uh, Israel's border. Um, but so, the Russians at least, you know, sustained some sort of an order there. 
Hezbollah will obviously take advantage of any vacuums that, that are that exist. So a stronger so Russia, a stronger Russia versus Ukraine equals a weaker Syria versus Israel. I'm not sure you can draw that as an as an exact equation. Uh, a weaker Syria is um, better. You know, it's, it's hard to define anything that could be weaker uh, than what Syria was. And, right. You know, 11 million refugees, hundreds of thousands. I mean, a replaced population. The ethnic cleansing that Iran has done. Their presence there is very significant, and they will fill the void if the Russians right. the Russians at least countered the Iranian presence. They didn't want them to be a dominant factor. Russia is still there and, and plays an important role, but I don't think that uh, I don't think that they um, that their absence is, is something that will have consequences. Also, you have Turkey acting more uh, against the PKK, but they also have to look at what's going on in Iran. Uh, you know, because the domestic situation in Turkey is also unstable. So this is a, it's a very dynamic period and it's so much to watch and to, to address. And we can't take our eye off any of these things. Yeah, the, this Neither Tur- Hezbollah does the flow of weapons from Iran. Does it continue to take right. advantage of, you know, the weakness of the, uh, of the Syrian government? The Turkish uh, legislation now allowing jail terms for fake news is, is, is interesting to say the least. Uh, and who knows? What, I agree. And who knows what that's the start of? I, I'm sorry to do all this quickly, but there's certain things that people are going to kill me if I don't get to. And obviously, we only have limited time. Uh, UN Commission of Inquiry on Occupied Palestinian Territory. Your reaction? Well, as you know, I've been warning about this for a long time on the show and telling people. I know they dismiss the UN. They don't care about what happens to the UN. This is very serious. This has broad implications. Uh, the fact that they're they're urging them to go to the International Court of Justice, they're going to bring it to General Assembly, accusing Israel of being an apartheid state, accusing many other things. It's it's a, a very serious uh, matter, and I think um, uh, people we are watching it very carefully. The United States is, is also uh, the United States does not support the Commission of Inquiry. Uh, you know the three leaders are out and out anti-Israel. Uh, people and some uh, accuse anti-Semitism. It's um, uh, a very tenuous. It's a very. Uh, it has broad implications. It can be very dangerous in terms of the efforts against Israel in the uh, in the various um, UN agencies. I spoke with Hill and Neuer over Sukkot in our Sukkah in Israel. And he told me how they, they, they tried for a year now to shut him up, not to give him a chance to speak. And he let every these radical extremists into hostile groups and the UN Watch, which is pro-Israel, obviously, but holds the UN to account. They're not even allowed to, to uh, uh, they don't put him on the agenda to speak. So we see within the whole UN system this kind of corrupt attitude, which is historic uh, against Israel. But the Commission of Inquiry, which has an unlimited budget, unlimited time frame, can be uh, a base for uh, ongoing assaults in addition to the two standing committees, Palestinian committees, which have millions of dollars to propagandize against Israel. Med- so don't say um shmoom, please. Oh, Not I, you, I'm the audience. I got that. Um, Medvedev's statement that Israel giving arms to the Ukraine will destroy relations, will destroy Russian relations uh, uh, with Israel. No surprise there, obviously, right? Well, it's not a surprise. It's uh, it, and it's obviously always of concern because Russia sitting in Syria can do a lot if they don't 
um, you know, they can use the turnover, the S-300, S-400 to, to the Syrians, and they would shoot at the Israeli planes as a rule. They have not. The Russians have not. Uh, and Russia doesn't operate over Syria, but along the Lebanese border from the sea and, and to hit uh, Iranian shipments and are very careful not to hit uh, Russian pr- uh, troops. But the um, uh, the threat is is very um, serious right. and comes especially at a time. And I heard yesterday as I was driving in, one of the a pro-Israel media guy uh, who appears on one of the major radio stations, uh, along with his guest, talking against Israel because they're not doing enough for the Ukraine. <laughs> and the fact is Israel just passed another package it's the only thing they don't sell them is offensive weapons, but they're sending, giving them a system to defend against the missiles. They're giving them equipment. They set up a field hospital. They sent hundreds of millions of dollars in aid. They've done so much training and, and, um, and physical assistance. And yet they come under attack when half the countries in the world haven't even come out in support of them. Israel is a small country and has a lot of considerations. Uh, Israel took in more refugees than the UK, and I think more than the United States, much more than the United States. And the the record is being ignored, and they're using it, and there's a concerted campaign, I think, to try and paint Israel as indifferent, and they they invoke the Holocaust and saying after they suffered a genocide, how could they be uh, uh, ignored this when that is not at all the case? And how many Israelis were, in the, were, were there in the country helping people, helping people get out, helping people in the country? Yeah. You don't see that coming from uh, 99% of the other countries of the world. We knew this was I feel get, very strongly about this. We knew this was uh, going to get complicated. Australia reversing recognition of West Jerusalem as Israel's capital. What do you think? Serious matter. Uh, could have broader implications. Um, the decision was made. They own, I think even England owns land in, in Jerusalem, too. And, and our hope was that trust would make the move. She, but now that she's out, I think there's, there's no, nobody's going to make that move now. But the Australian move being a Western and portrays itself as pro-Israel. We knew the new government would be different. This is a very disappointing move. Uh, President of Israel visiting President Biden next week in advance of the midterms. I'm assuming that's just a coincidence and nothing to do with the upcoming election in the United States. It did not. It was a, a, This has been in the works for discussion for months. I met with the president and we discussed it uh, two days ago, uh, right before I left. And uh, it's going to be a nonpartisan visit. There will be Republicans. Uh, there will be meetings with Republican leadership. There will be meetings with uh, uh, Biden. Uh, you know, any time an Israeli leader has a chance to come and, and meet the president and make the case, and uh, I think President Herzog has been very strong, whether it's on Iran or some of the other issues. He, he doesn't play politics. Um, he, I think most people give him a very high marks in Israel, uh, and he has, he's been a very good diplomatic presence uh, for Israel. Time when the governments are so in the part and comes with the support of various parties. And what do you say to the large uh, uh, constituents of uh, the Nahum Siegel Network, uh, listeners of the Nahum Siegel Network, who need to know your reaction to Kanye West? It is outrageous. It is those who seek to defend him in any way, who who even portray him as uh, without discussing these blatant anti-Semitic DEFCON 3, all the threats, this is... This would never be tolerated against another group. It's got to be denounced. It's got to, and, and Hollywood has to speak out against it. Look, he may be a crazy guy from <clears throat> all the accounts, 
that doesn't matter. He has a following, and he and he is uh, uh, portraying stereotypical uh, accusations and a total lack of sensitivity and and uh, uh, blatant anti-Semitism. Everybody should be reacting to it. Next Friday, the final Friday before the Israeli election. It should be an interesting conversation. We look forward to speaking, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks so much for joining Great us. Shabbos. Malcolm Holnline is the vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. And we're going to work out a schedule because uh, since my future son-in-law's off is out of town and uh, my daughter's wedding's on a Thursday, uh, it's going to be a couple of challenging weeks, but we're going to try to get as much post-election analysis from Malcolm as possible on the air. We'll figure that out here at JM in the AM.